0: G'day and welcome to The Yarn here on Radio Fodder. I'm Fia Walsh. This week on the program, Messy Multiculturalism and What It Means for Young Culturally Diverse Australians. But first, I'd like to pay my respects to the traditional owners of the land on which I'm recording today, the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. The Yarn showcases some of the best reporting from the graduate journalism courses here at the University of Melbourne. Ruby Craner Tucci, a recent graduate from the Master of Journalism program, is my guest today. Hello, Ruby. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. So, your piece opens by introducing us to Nairi Chabajan, who, in simple terms, is Australian. Her dad migrated from Ethiopia before she was born. Her mum's from Sydney, and Nairi herself was born and raised in Melbourne. But she won't just say that she's Australian. How how does she introduce herself?
1: So Nairi's identity is very much um, wrapped in both her Armenian heritage and also the fact that she was born in Australia. So it's not a simple answer of I'm Australian just because I was born here. Um, It's very much mixed in with how she's been brought up, which is with a really strong connection to her Armenian identity. So she went to Armenian school as a child. Um, She surrounds herself with a lot of Armenian friends. She plays with an Armenian basketball group and she still serves on the youth council um, at the Armenian school. So it's not a simple answer as, um, you know, although she was born in Australia, in Melbourne, she's very much, um, you know, displays her identity as being Armenian Australian and that won't be separated ever.
0: How big is the Armenian community in Victoria?
1: Look, Victoria's Armenian community is quite small. A lot of the um, people that migrated from um, the Middle East and Syria that are Armenian um, ended up settling in Sydney Um Look, Australia is a very multicultural um, place, and it's kind of been our brand for a while. But there's a lot of minority multicultural groups that um, are, are quite hidden, I guess. Um, and and I would uh, assume that you know the Armenian community would probably feel um, part of that. So it is very small. Um, there are smaller groups which are also mentioned in the piece, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's very small when you're looking, you know, compared to Greek or Italian backgrounds as well.
0: I found it interesting that Nairi said, for her, the Armenian genocide features quite strongly in her understanding of herself as an Armenian Australian. Um, and that's something that happened over a hundred years ago in 1915. Can you speak about why that sort of encouraged her to embrace her Armenian heritage?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's actually something I'm quite connected to. My background's um, Jewish, Italian, Australian. And so the Holocaust is a really big part of my identity as well. And it comes up as well in in another interviewee, Zara, um, who talks about the genocide with the Kurdish population. And it's a lot about intergenerational trauma um, just because something happened to a different group doesn't mean it doesn't impact you. Um, and it's especially uh, ripe when it comes to family. So, um, you know, when, when we're talking about genocide and war, there's a lot of very strong impacts that happen immediately and then ripple effect um, through to different generations. And that might manifest manifest in different ways from feeling anxiety, from not wanting to talk about certain things, Um, you know, when it comes to specifics around the genocide or even just a a film about it, perhaps. But for Nairi especially, um, the Armenian identity is wrapped in the genocide. It's part of their own story and for her it, it carries the same weight even though it wasn't a direct experience for her.
0: Your story argues that Nairi's understanding of herself as an Armenian Australian is reflective of the multicultural experience for many young Australians. And this is backed up by the Multicultural Youth Australia census, census, sorry, which you cite, which uses the term messy and hybrid to describe the complex identities of culturally diverse young people. These are identities that aren't necessarily tied to their country of birth or their ancestry. And I'd like to tease that out a bit, but before we do let's let's cut with the basics. What exactly do we mean when we talk about multiculturalism or traditional multiculturalism in Australia? yeah um such big
1: words messy hybrid complex I love it um so I guess multiculturalism in Australia has been pretty present um since day dot you know we there's a a lot of um, views in mainstream culture around white Australia um which doesn't even bring into um, you know, the rich history and um, experiences of Indigenous Australians. So right from the start, we are a very diverse um, nation and that's only um, been kind of brought, uh, that's only been extended further with the arrival of lots of different um minority groups that have now turned into a mi- majority. So around um, the gold rush, when we had a lot of Chinese people coming in, Italians and Greeks started settling, you know, um, now more and more people from um, mid- the Middle East have come over. So there's, you know, Australia, it only takes one walk, you know, down Carlton in Lygon Street or Bridge Road in Richmond, Sydney Road. You can see our um, multiculturalism reflected in the way that we um, operate as a society, which I really Really love. Um, in saying that, there's definitely a lot of challenges, and there's a lot of, um, I think, a, a bit of a misunderstanding about the fact that we are multiculturalist um, as a, as a nation doesn't necessarily mean all um, cultures are accepted, um, or perhaps even tolerated. And I think that's uh, a big point of this story is that a lot of the interviewees that I chatted with. spent a really long time fighting to um, present their identities in a way that feels safe and and even um, celebrated and and that's i think where we do need to go um, moving forward so yeah very multicultural but still um, you know not not an easy topic for a lot of people
0: i guess there's sort of two strains to multiculturalism In one sense, it is just a descriptive term in that Australia is a country with many different cultures in it, but in in a second and more meaningful sense, it's how we deal as a society with that diversity and how how those groups are integrated into the wider sense of being Australian. Um, And I guess there are values that we are required to share. People, when they come to Australia, are asked to agree with certain civic values, things like democratic participation, equality, freedom of speech, those kinds of values. But it's, it's then about not forcing those groups to conform to a certain idea of what it means to be Australian.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was also reflected in the piece in that, you know, I, was, I did a lot of research around what mainstream attitudes are to minority groups. And, you know, surprisingly, a, a really big survey that came from SBS um, basically said, you know, just under half of respondents wanted people from minority groups to assimilate and to take on, you know, those widely understood Australian values in a way that meant neglecting their own cultures and histories. And, um, you know, like you said, it's, it's very different to talk about the word multicultural in, in kind of a dictionary sense and what it means and, and also to put it into practice.
0: So young people today with their messy and hybrid identities, how are they navigating their multicultural selves differently to how their parents or their grandparents might have? Yeah, it's a great
1: question. Um, I think the best example of this is um, the final interviewee for this piece, Jason. So he is a Hmong Australian and he he migrated from Thailand with his parents um, and So essentially, you know, wasn't born in Australia, um, but has very much adapted to the Australian way of life um, and has taken on a lot of um, kind of interests and values of our culture from sport, you know, footy and soccer to travelling, which I think is really key for young people. Um, So I guess when we're talking about, you know, this new wave of multiculturalism, what's messy and hybrid is that young people aren't, um, they're no longer needing to completely um, move into or migrate into I guess for a lack of a better word this Australian culture they're they're proud about their family and their background and they 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 understand that you know that rich diversity is key to their identity um, and they're you know navigating what it's like to you know introduce themselves as you know hi I'm Ruby and I'm Jewish Italian Australian which is a mouthful and it's a really hard to say but Hopefully, you know, like Nairi said, you have someone that is interested and wants to ask you some questions and you get a conversation going and and that's really wonderful to, to start to see.
0: I'd like to talk a bit more about Jason Lee's experience because I think it's one that would resonate with a lot of children of migrants. Where he has to balance his traditional familial expectations with his experiences in a more liberal Australian mainstream society. Can you speak a bit about some of those challenges that he faced?
1: Yeah, definitely. So he, um, migrated across to Australia with parents that didn't speak English. Um, and that also prioritised a very traditional way of living, um, which in many respects was quite removed from a, a modern Australian life. So I remember he he chatted to me about this experience when he was 15 and he dyed his hair blonde, which was quite a, a common thing to do as, you know, teenagers like to experiment with different hairstyles and, and ways of dressing. And his, you know, he came home and his parents just threatened to disown him if he didn't dye it back to black. Um, And he cited a lot about, you know, saving face as a family, which, um, you know, I believe is a really strong um, kind of priority for for a lot of families, especially those with an Asian background. Um, And so he definitely wrestled with the idea of trying to hang out with his mates at his local high school um, while also coming back to a really strictly Hmong um, family and to the point where, you know, um, his his dad was really high up in the community, and his brothers even undertaking uh, a lot of learnings and education to, f- you know, move into that position of his dad. So it's not even something that, um, is just is, you know, it, it it's something that it, it's really key to this family and having to break these traditions slowly and having to mould into a different way of life was certainly a challenge. Um, the, the great thing to come out of it, though, is that Jason, you know, now 30, in his early 30s, is still really connected to his Hmong background. Um, and he he runs programs that help Hmong youth to, um, you know, get better connected with their own communities. So it's still very present, but it's like a whole new... Um, kind of way of looking at his culture. He's taking on the Australian aspects without losing
0: his background himself, which is great. In the story, you write that every time Jason ventures into the mainstream, he recognises risk. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a barrier for a lot of people when their culture is physically apparent. Um, And what I mean by that is, um, you know, skin colour, um, the way that you look, it, it does um point you out as somebody that would be different to, I guess, what a lot of people look at white Australia. And I say that really broadly because I don't think that we rep- represent that anymore. I think we're a very different face now. But um, Jason specifically spoke about his experiences just walking out of his house and knowing that people would look at him differently because he's Asian or knowing he'd go to the local supermarket and get some kind of, um, you know, negative reaction or feel some kind of distress because he felt like he didn't belong, Um, which to me is is quite crazy because, you know, I'm in my early 20s. I've got a lot of friends that are very multicultural. It seems like the norm, but it's really not for a lot of people. Um, And I think, you know, the visibility of your culture being so apparent does put you um, at a greater risk. And, you know, like I mentioned before, it's something that we still need to address um, and look at our values and and what that means for specific individuals as they're, um, you know, navigating our world.
0: Definitely. It's, it's pretty safe to say that not every multicultural experience in Australia would be equal. A Vietnamese person moving to Melbourne today will hopefully face less prejudice than the Vietnamese migrants of the 70s and 80s, but they might not find it as easy as an Italian or an English migrant would. What are some of the social and cultural barriers that are still in place in Australia? Oh, huge question. Um, I think...
1: Like, um, if we take the examples of those I've written about in the story, I think sometimes there's just a lack of, um, understanding and, uh, you know, I come from a, a family that likes to talk about our feelings a lot <laughs> with social workers as my parents. Um, so the idea of empathy and kindness is pretty inherent in, in the way that I like to work. Um, and be as a person, but i that's not a common experience. Um, And I think people are fearful at the end of the day. I think when things are posed as as different or scary or um, something that they're not used to, it's an automatic reaction of, I don't want this, I don't want this here and that is then reflected on on people and communities and it's done in a really really terrible way and we start to marginalize people we um you know create definitions around people that that can be wrong and we we hugely generalize um and so i think that the idea of of assimilating in that sense is that you know taking on australian values and making sure that we're connected to where we're living is hugely important but you know, Australia wouldn't be the way that it is without this rich diversity of culture. Um, You know, we wouldn't have the same looking suburbs. We wouldn't have the food that we get to eat. And I think that um, it's really important to stay open and to remember that at the end of the day, we really are human. And I hate to sound preachy about it, but it's kind of, that's what it boils down to. You know, all these stories in this piece, they're so familiar And they're all the same. They're about individuals that want recognition and they want a little bit of interest in themselves and, you know, someone to be excited about this great background that they have. And at the end of the day, isn't that all what we want?
0: Definitely. In public discourse, we don't often hear the terms multiculturalism and race together in, in my mind, multiculturalism has quite a positive spin, whereas race has a lot more negative connotations in, in Australia in particular, but the integration of diverse groups into society is really a race issue, is it not? Should, should we be talking about this in plainer terms?
1: Yeah, I think you're right about the fact that multiculturalism has kind of got this, you know, glowing light around it. Um, And I think that's just because it's been used strongly in our politics throughout history to frame our country as a place to belong. Um, But I don't think it's necessarily been carried out in the same way. Um, And when we're talking about race, it's a systemic issue as well. You know, there's a lot being tied to it and it's got a lot of different avenues um, I do think they are connected um, but I think because I think I see culture as, as a bigger force, you know, where um, food and, and um, song and dance and story and, and all of that comes into it into this kind of tapestry of um, of who we are while race I think um, is a little bit harsher and I think that's definitely just the public discourse around these kinds of topics and like I think that they sh- – you know, you could absolutely have them come together. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we're still talking about the same issue, which is accepting people for who they are and celebrating what they can contribute to society as well.
0: And and how do we get there? What needs to change to encourage Australians to better embrace diversity?
1: I think um, it was great chatting to Vivian Newen about this. So she's the, as you mentioned before, she's the chair of the Victorian Multicultural Commission. And, and she mentioned that, um, you know, new groups that come in, their ability to advocate that the time they've spent in their country and their size is, you know, the three main factors in their ability to um, be able to be recognised and celebrated by our culture um, and and our society. Um, I think what we really need is education, um, and she mentioned that as well. We need just an open mind um, and an ability to recognise that, you know, um, Australia is a changing face. We've got a lot of different facets that make up who we are. And, you know, at times that that might feel scary, Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's the same waves of, of struggle, of building yourself up, of finding a community to connect with. And I think if we all just stayed open and accepting, again, I'm sounding really preachy, but this is really what Vivian was chatting about was education Um, From an early age around, you know, people might look different or sound different, but at the end of the day, we're all the same and, and, you know, we're only better for how multicultural um, our society becomes.
0: Here on Radio Fodder, you're listening to The Yarn. I'm Fia Walsh and my guest today is Ruby Tucci. Ruby, let's take a bit of a look at your reporting process here. So your, your research for this story was supported by a fellowship from the May and Romeo Chiavon Journalism Fund. How did you move, because I, I know when you apply for that fellowship, you have to have quite a complete pitch for a story idea. How did you move from that pitch to the final story? Did it change very much? And, and how did the fund help you get there?
1: Yeah, I mean, like any journal would know, the story you set out to write is often very different from the story that you end up with. Um, So I am, you know, really, it was quite a privilege to receive the fellowship. Um, It's a story um, I've had in mind for a really long time. and, And it did come up because of my quite multicultural background myself and knew that these stories were out there. Um, so the story that I pitched was very similar, but it didn't focus as strongly on minority groups. It was more about the balance of being Australian mixed with another kind of culture. Um, in you know, receiving the fellowship, a lot of my um, guidance from, from the teachers were around making sure that there was a clear angle, which I guess is key you know, to any story. And, and you know, we should all know that. But the, the avenue that we decided to take was to focus on really minority groups. Um, and that was really interesting, but it made for quite a huge challenge because, you know, where I started off thinking I'd focus on an Italian Australian with, you know, plenty of avenues to contact interviewees, I ended up with a Kurdish Australian. Um, you know, and Zara that I chatted to, you know, one source said that there's only 37 people that are Kurdish in Tasmania and I managed to track one of them down. So it wasn't an easy process in terms of, you know, once I decided who these people would be, what cultures I was interested in looking at, then finding them and then making sure they were young enough to be, um, able to comment on the, the balance between cultures and fit in this kind of agenda we had for the story. It was certainly not easy but once we started writing it um, and and a lot of that did come out of the great guidance from the citizen um, and the fellowship leaders and directors, it was a pretty easy story to form because my interviewees were just great people and like I've been saying they just wanted to share their story and and that really is the privilege of journalism is getting to chat to people and, and hear what they want to say and be able to give them a platform to say it. So um, it was a great process. I think um, it was a long process. I got the fellowship in 2019 um, and the piece was ended up being published in 2021. So um, there was obviously a lot of road bumps in there. COVID happened. Um, it wasn't easy to you know speak to people face to face, which is a huge barrier. Um, like I'm sure you and a lot of other people know that it's best to chat to people when you can actually see them. Um, and you know, pick up on their their body language. but um, I think the piece ended up being a really great reflection of what the initial pitch was um, and and definitely stronger for the the guidance and the help I received.
0: So you decided on the cultures that you wanted to speak to, and then you sought out the interviewees. it was it wasn't the other way around.
1: No, it wasn't so. I always knew I wanted to share Nairi's story. Um, I've kind of connected her with her. Um, across a number of years and, and love the Armenian culture and wanted that to be kind of the main story. And so I had that. And then from there, it was around a balance of um, ensuring I had at least one Asian culture present, because I think that's really important. It's really reflective of Australia as we stand now. Um, I obviously needed a man to balance it out or I needed somebody that, um, you know, could have been non-binary. It, it didn't bother me, but I needed some kind of balance. Um, and then I needed people that were young because that was the whole point of the story. So I definitely connected with a few people that had great stories to share and I'd love to revisit, but they just didn't fit in that guideline of, you know, having to, to present it as a young Australian. Um, so it ended up just looking... Like um, I, I really just looked at kind of cultures that were were minorities and that was a lot of looking through the census from 2016 um, and just pinpointing certain cultures and then seeing how we went. Um, and yeah, I guess the three we ended up with, which was Armenian, Hmong and Kurdish cultures were sort of where I had sat um, mostly from the get go. Yeah.
0: And as you say, even though these are such minority and perhaps unfamiliar cultures, there is still a real relatable sense in the stories they tell and a familiarity that I think will resonate with so many diverse Australians as they read your piece.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the themes of Belonging identity, being proud, recognizing your history and where you stand. That's something everyone goes through. Um, you know, whether or not both parents are Australian or if you, you know, have a very multicultural, hybrid, messy group of, of cultures like we've chatted about, it, it's the same. And it's, um, it's a, been a great story to tell. And I hope people find um, a lot out of it that they can, you know, um, that resonates with them and, and makes them think a little bit about their actions going forward. Ruby, where can our audience find you? So I am really bad at Twitter. Please don't go on Twitter to find me. I think I've got like two posts on there. It's terrible. But I'm on Insta at Ruby Cranatucci, just my full name. Um, Facebook as well, LinkedIn. Um, but definitely read the story and jump on The Citizen there. Um, yeah, it's it's really great platform for young journos and um, really cool to be part of it finally.
0: Ruby, thanks so much for coming on The Yarn.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You can find Ruby Cranatucci's story, The New New Australian, Marvellous, Messy Multiculturalism Defines the Next Generation at thecitizen.org.au. Thanks, as always, to Radio Fodder producer Mark Yin and Rose Gertsakis, who designed our cover art. Till next week, my name is Fia Walsh and you've been listening to The Yarn.